I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. It's a podcast that I was on called Epic Life for the host Jason uh, interviewed me about my journey and story and how it relates to the books and the big ideas we share each and every week here. And remember that there is a contest going out for reviews on the podcast. If you do a review, hit the link in the notes and you have a chance to win some free courses that we built that can change your life. And also, I have also agreed to a strategy session for the winner. A one-hour strategy session where I will do a deep dive in your business and listen and give you some ideas that can help you. Hope you enjoy it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Epic Life Podcast. On this week's edition of the podcast, we talked with Terrence McMahon. Terrence is a best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and coach. He has a really remarkable story towards survival and recovery. And it's not just about physical health. It is more about a deeply moving mental and spiritual process to recreate himself. Terrence drops a lot of knowledge and tidbits of information in here. He calls algorithms for change. And this resonates with us very, very significantly because this is very similar to the actionable steps that we created with Epic to help you change whatever aspect in your life you're looking to change, whether it's sleep, stress, movement, nutrition, or goal setting. Terrence drops a lot of knowledge and a lot of good insightful and usable pieces of information that you'll be able to take from this episode and plug right away into your life. So grab a pen and a piece of paper. You'll probably want to take notes during this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Terrence McMahon. We're live. Terrence McMahon, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for joining us today. So awesome. I discovered you after being on the Jeff Knows Inc. podcast. Jeff Lopes is a close personal friend of mine. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm pretty familiar with your background and your story. Uh, can you give us a brief rundown of that for our listeners? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, you're in Toronto? Yeah, Toronto, Canada. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I grew up in, in Western Massachusetts, which is... Uh, East is uh, as far west of Boston as you can get to it without being in, in uh, New York State. And I'm the youngest of six kids, and I, I grew up in a baseball baseball family. My dad uh, played uh, baseball, and he taught my, my brothers and I. My dad actually played for the Cincinnati Reds in my in 1949. He signed a pro contract with all 16. Well, he had offers from all 16 teams for the major league maximum, $6,000 in July, 19, 1949. And, and that same week, Mickey Mantle, Hall of Famer Mickey Mantle, signed for $2,200. Wow. So my father's claim to fame until last year when he passed was he, he signed for more than Mickey Mantle. And so for, for one day of his life, he was better than Mickey Mantle. But he, he was very good. At, you know, of course, you ought to be good to be at that level, Absolutely. even back then. But he taught us... Uh, you know, he taught us algorithms about, you know, which I later found out the word for it, but he taught us processes to get really good at something mm-hmm. and, you know, how to hit, how to throw, how to catch, how to run, how to win. Like he pounded it into us and uh, it works because, you know, my brother Eddie was sporting news all American in 1973 with the, and he signed in the second round with the twins. My brother Sean played up there in St. Catharines, Canada, with the, yep. with the St. Catharines Blue Jays. The year Joe Carter hit the home run, oh, nice. he was on he was on the minor league team, so he got a ring for that. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, he's got his ring; still wears it around, even though he's long, long away from that team. <laughs> St. Catharines cool. he got a ring. He got the ring. Yeah, it was cool. And my brother Tim and I both went to school on scholarship, so we had a baseball team. And you know, I I went I, I went on to, I, on to uh, play college baseball. 
in Massachusetts at the University of Massachusetts in Lowell. And, and right away, um, I felt like, you know, when I got there, it was the biggest school. I come from a small town, a little bit like Hoosiers, you know, this little yeah. town kid goes to this big school and I didn't think I belonged. You know, I didn't think I could fit in. I didn't think I'd performed. I created all this massive anxiety. And I had, uh, on my very first day, I had, I had started experiencing these panic attacks. So instead of going to, you know, get a good night's sleep to meet my new team and to go to my new school, I went out and I drank. So I created a, um, a process to relieve that, you know, my, myself of that feeling. Yeah. And I wanted to get out of that feeling and alcohol worked. And it worked for a long period of time because I had bouts with anxiety and panic attacks for, for the next 25 years. Um, and so if you're, you're doing that, and I did it a lot, almost daily for all these years, and you, you, you peter out of, out of sports, and I went into uh, selling life insurance door to door. So I went from being a hero on the baseball diamond to being a butt of a joke out of a Woody, Woody Allen film. Uh, you know, in, that, in, the, in the famous uh, movie, Take the Money and Run, Woody Allen gets caught stealing and he gets sentenced to two weeks in, in a dungeon with a life insurance agent. You know, it's a pride swallowing, horrific <laughs> job. And knocking on doors. Um, so I went, on, went from knocking on doors, but I learned an algorithm and I learned how to make a client. Yep. And then I learned how to do that better and better and better. I kept doing the same simple thing over and over again. It worked. Yeah. And then I applied that to other forms of marketing uh, and it worked again. Then I scaled it and it started working for me so well. I had more leads and opportunities than I had agents. So I hired other people to use my system and I became a CEO. They hired me to build a big company. And if you roll the clocks up forward, I go from knocking on doors to knocking on knocking them dead. I had 600 brokers. I had, uh, I was in 25 locations, managed over a billion dollars and had 60,000 clients. So from the outside looking in, I had it all. Yeah. Uh, Cause I had blown up uh, financially, but I also blew up physically. And I was over 350 pounds. Oh wow. Uh, so if you were to be able to look from the inside out, I was morbidly obese. I had hypertension. Mm-hmm. My blood sugar was high. I was a walking heart attack, but I also had depression, anxiety, massive, brutal, dreadful panic attacks that I was medicating with alcohol. And in, and in 2015, I started taking uh, medication for it too. So I was, uh, you know, just a, a time bomb waiting to happen. Yeah. And I had a private driver, flew all over the world. You know, I was making a seven-figure income. And then in Memorial Day 2016, I wandered into a hospital in New Hampshire. I thought I was having heart palpitations and I ended up, uh, doctors were coming in one at a time. And, you know, when they're coming in, you can hear, you hear the, the, the noises and the beeps and the, and the breathing. And, you know, people are in, in, in uh, drug withdrawal in the other rooms. Cause I didn't, I wasn't even in a room. I was around those curtains around my room. There's so many people. Yeah. And they kept comments. I knew something was wrong. And then the look on his face, I was like, wow, I'm in trouble. And the doctor says, it's not your heart. It's your liver. Your liver and your pancreas, Mr. McMahon, are shutting down. And if you don't go to some extreme measures tonight, you could die. So that was a change moment for me. I went from seven-figure income to being a CEO and everything I thought I ever wanted to being literally labeled alcoholic alcoholic liver failure it was 
And then that puts you directly at the end of a liver transplant waiting list. So you, yeah. at that point, you need someone else to die for you to live. And then if they do die and they're a match, you need to be in the right order yeah. and, and be on the list. And that was a big deal. So I had to learn all about that world. And that world took me to um, on a journey. You know, that was my journey. That was a journey to accomplishment and success and egomania to uh, survival. You know, just pure survival to how to get a, a donor because there's only I got two pieces of bad news relatively quickly there's only uh, one available organ for all, every three people that need one that are on the list and there was another uh, there was there was many many others that weren't even listed yet and I wasn't listed wow. uh, so also it was the average wait time was 323 days as I looked that up in the, I remember looking it up on my phone in the hospital. Yeah. It was like, they're going to need a transplant. Uh, and he told me my life expectancy was six months. He said, if you're lucky, you'll live six months. So I went on that, I went on a journey, um, that took me all over the place. And on the journey, I was in Harvard's hospital and I don't usually tell this part of the story, but I'm in Harvard, best hospital in the world. I had plenty of money. Yeah. And they, um, you know, it, it took me about three three months to get in there. So I'm so I have ninety days left. So I'm thirty days into a ninety day death sentence, maybe almost sixty. And they throw me out of the program. They accused me of drinking wow. while I was on the waiting list. And I hadn't been. Yeah. I said, I've been in this hospital. I haven't drank. I'm trying to live. I'm trying to survive. Yeah. And they um and they throw me out the program. So I'm out. And but that which is bad. So I'm most likely gonna die anyway, but I'm definitely gonna die with this information on my record because you got to be sober for six months to get a transplant. Oh, wow. That's one of the rules of the, yeah. for the transplant. You can't. So I hadn't had anything to drink since that day. I quit that day on the spot. Never had alcohol since. Um, the doctor told me, he said, no amount of alcohol, Mr. McMahon. He looked at me, he goes, is ever safe for you ever again? Wow. And I looked, as soon as he left, I, you know, I saw him walking out the door. He said, I'll never drink again. I'll never have another drop. And I never yeah. did. Yeah. Uh, so it was, I was offended that, that, uh, four months later, Harvard's accusing me of drinking and they're going to kill me. Yeah. Uh, and that night in a hotel when I was, when I got the news, I was, uh, again, I took this stupid phone out, which you always have with you. Yeah. And I Googled, uh, you know, truth verification. So I found a facility that administers lie detector tests and in, in Jacksonville. Yep. And I, I, I went to Jacksonville's, uh, I went to a treasury agent, a U.S. treasury agent administered a truth verification test to me. And he, and he, and he has to inform the third party to make it a, a, a test. So I had him inform Mayo Clinic and I also had him send Harvard a test. So I passed. Yeah. I passed that, you know, I hadn't been drinking. I knew I'd pass. And I took the results to Mayo Clinic with, you know, maybe a month left to live. I was really, at this point, you got to understand my, my, eyes are all red. My skin is, is yellow. And yeah. uh, if you ever seen anyone who's jaundice is sickly yeah. and um, you smell, I mean, you're looking at looks from people. It's not fun. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then I went to, uh, I went to Mayo Clinic and I, and I sat and they gave me an appointment and they sat with the psychologist and he said, that's strange that you did that. The light of him, my lie detector test in his hands. And I, I was like, man, I want to live. Yeah. And I fucked up. Yeah bad and I want to live. I'll do whatever it takes. Tell me what I got to do. And he said, uh, he said, we don't transplant people unless they've gone through relapse prevention, you know? And of course 
the time, the time, time is clicking down and relapse prevention is a, a rehab. <laughs> so, you know, the, the bad news is I'm going to rehab for, you know, I'm going to spend most of the rest of my life in a 30 day rehab program. So if I make it out, yeah. I'm eligible to potentially get listed. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I said, well, at least the good news is I'll finally, I'll finally meet some of these famous celebrities that I see so much about on the, on a hard copy, like Britney Spears <laughs> and Charlie Sheen or Madonna, whoever is in rehab. Yeah. <laughs> so at that. But that wasn't what it was at all. I went to rehab. So imagine me walking into rehab. I'm walking dead. Yeah. You know, one guy said I smelled like death. That's what wow. your breath starts to smell like when you're, yeah. when you got ammonia, when you're mm-hmm. terminal. And uh, so I had to go in and I, and I, and I figured out, you know, just, just to, to bring this up forward, I, I, of course I get out of rehab. I go to, I go to Mayo Clinic and, and, um, and they test you and they, they give me bad news. I'm inoperable. I'm too sick to be operated on. Yeah. So I'm going to die. And I can't, you know, you can't be operated unless your sodium's over a certain level. Mine was way below it. Yeah. So I'm too sick to get surgery. And so I call my family in and they didn't know at the time, but I was saying goodbye. My kids, you know, I knew one day was coming relatively soon where I would not wake up and they yeah. would, and I wouldn't be there. And then, you know, the reason I wasn't there is a really, really sad thing. And that really made me sad. And then, you know, of course, my, I divvied up all my money and my brother and I built a trust. Um, you know, we had a whole beautiful trust. I was an estate planner. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I had a good plan for my financial life. I had a shitty plan for my own life, my own yeah. health and well-being, my own mental health. Yeah. Anyway, uh, me and my mom and the, you know, it's again, I'm getting sick and she's a, she's a nurse. So she knows. And, and this was uh January. Now, another thing I don't talk about much is my sister Kathleen had been on a liver transplant waiting list for two years at the time. No way. And so we're both really sick. Yeah. Uh, it turns out we have some genetic thing going on too, where alcohol ex- accelerates it. Yeah. Um, I don't think she drank nearly as much as I did, but she had liver failure here earlier and the Sunday Sunday night, she got a call and she got a transplant. So she got wow. called for her transplant on Sunday night. So I'm thinking to myself, well, at least she's gonna live. Yeah. And then and then um, my my mom and I are sitting there, we're you know smiling. And a couple of days later, the the phone rang. It was Mayo Clinic, and I had been in Jacksonville now. And they said, Mr. McMahon, are you in Jacksonville? I said, Yeah, I'm in Jacksonville. And. Uh, a prisoner died in Alabama and he's mm-hmm. a, and he's a donor, but he's also an IV drug user, which meant he was not, uh, you know, he was what's called high risk. So yeah. high risk organs, they don't know if it's safe. And then, you know, of course I'm going to be gone pretty soon. So I took it, I took a chance and me and my mom hug it out and we go in the hospital and you know, then the rest is history. They, 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 they harvest the organ in Birmingham and bring it to the airport on a helicopter on a jet to Jacksonville on a helicopter to Mayo Clinic. And I know exactly where that helicopter landed and they brought the organ up to my room and put it in my body. Wow. So I, re- I recovered or I, got, I, I, I was saved like a miracle, a flat yeah. out miracle. My understanding was that as many as four dozen people passed on that organ. Wow. From what I was told is that like the high risk organs get passed on a lot. Yeah. So I had an opportunity um, in the, you know, the clarity I got in rehab was, was this, you know, they told me I was broken. Mm-hmm. They told me I was an addict. They told me I had a disease and they told me there was no cure. And their algorithm for bringing me back 
was to go to meetings every day for the rest of my life and declare myself an addict, which yeah. to me didn't sound like a very good plan. And I was yeah. a financial planner. So when I lived, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, to recreate myself because there's a big difference between rehabilitating yourself and recreating yourself. To rehabilitate means to restore back yep, your sure. original condition, like rehabbing a house. Yeah. And it goes back to the way it was. And I didn't want to go back to the way it was. So I wanted to recreate myself, which means to bring something new into existence. That's what that word means. So recreating yourself is about reinventing and reemerging and, re and, and not only recovering, but, but, but being recovered. Yeah. They wanted me to be in recovery forever. I was like, I, I want to be recovered. I'm, I want to be done with this and live. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that's what I did. So I, I started using and learning algorithms to, to transform these simple things. I know that you believe in too, yeah. is there's processes to get a result. And you know, it's not necessarily complicated, they're just not always easy. So I, I brain body and, and business. So I changed everything I was. So I sold yeah. my company. I moved. Uh, Cubby says, if you want to change the fruit, you need to change the roots. Yeah, there you go. You know, and, and the roots are uh, the roots are your persona. Number one, your identity, that mask yeah. you put on your face. That's what yeah. it means. Your uh, the people you hang out with, the places you go, yeah. the person you call yourself. These For are sure. all. And that's it. And that was my, that's where my journey started. You know, it started right there. So yeah. I had, you know, I lost most of my money. Most of my friends, I moved. Yeah. So I had a hell of a lot of time. Total, total recreation, right? Uh, that's, yeah, it's a massive transformation. That's an incredible story. So we talk about those ups and downs, right? Um, if you're success of baseball, failure as baseball, right? Success in business, failure of personal and physical health, right? So how... What made you persevere through all that? Like a lot, any one of those setbacks would, would crush most people and they would just kind of give up and stay in that state, right? So what, what kind of motivated you to, to keep going and keep pushing through that? My father um, was a prideful person. My father installed in me um, a lot of pride in what he did was, and I didn't know it at the time, and I doubt he read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, it's behind yeah. me. Yeah. In the book, Carnegie writes about give a dog a good name it's, in, it's on page 240 of the book, and it talks about giving somebody a reputation that they need to live up to. Mm -hmm. So my father always told me I'm tough. I'm a comeback guy. I'm a fighter. I'm a leader. My dad was unbelievable. Wow. The subconscious, uh, and a lot of it wasn't, you know, he always told me I was better than anybody on the, on the field too. Yeah. And that wasn't always true, but I believed it. Yeah. And that hurt me later on a little bit, but but it helped me come come back because I believed in myself and I wanted to be a superhero. I didn't want to be an addict. Yeah. And you know, when you look at being broken, they say you're broken. Like my brain's broken. I think that's how they put it. It's like, that's right. Bullshit. Yeah. You know, I, I have abilities, you know, and I can stop doing that. And I did, I stopped seven months earlier, you know, when I get, by the time I got the rehab, it was May to December. Um, and there's, there's a, you know, my TED talk was called from broken to beautiful, an algorithm to recreate yourself. Mm -hmm. And the algorithm has really three steps to it. And this is the three step root, uh, recipe to transform anything. Yeah. And the first one is embedded in, in decisions. Like the most misunderstood word on earth is decisions, like to decide and decision, if you cut the word down in the end of etymology of decision means D, D E means away from. Yeah. Like a detour or a divorce. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, decisions to cut. To 
cut. So yeah. to cut away from is what a decision. It's not about adding things to your life. It's about cutting away. Yeah. Wow. There's a book behind me called Essentialism. It's the relentless pursuit of less things, not more. Mm-hmm. So I had to get rid of things in my life. I had yeah. to cut a lot of my, I had to cut off, I had to cut off the head of the dragon, my identity. Yeah. I had to build it back up from scratch and I changed all kinds of stuff. Right. And that's what training's about. But then the second thing is, once you do that, once you move and, and you cut that identity out, there's a void there. And you need to install a new, a new narrative, right? You need to choose who you're going to become. Mm-hmm. You need to give yourself that reputation to live up to. Yeah. All right. And um, I didn't want to be an addict with a disease that had no cure, that was broken, that was in recovery first. That just wasn't a very exciting narrative for me. So I put my yeah. own narrative in. Yep. I'm going to be, you know, the things my dad told me, I'm going to be a comeback, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be like, I want people to look at me and say, holy shit, what happened to him? Yeah. What, what an incredible thing. Yeah. Not to impress them, but to impress my children, you know, yeah. that I got back up. Yeah. And, you know, they saw me fall and I got back up instead of staying down. Um, and then the last one is, 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 is once you know what that is, if you installed that brain, and Covey has a story that he talks about in The Seven Habits too. As a, it's called the funeral exercise. So you, you're, you're, you're going to a funeral and you're on your way and you're thinking about this beautiful person. And when you get to the home, there's music, there's sad people, there's pictures, uh, stories and people. This person is going to be missed. This was an amazing person. And you stand in line and you look down in, in the casket and it's you. It's your funeral. You're at your own funeral three years from now. And the speakers are going to be there to tell everyone how you lived, how you mattered, how you loved, what you stood for, all right, what you taught the world, what you offered and served, um, you know, your wife, your children, your business partner, your clergy, your charity, a coworker. Like, they're going to talk. Yeah. Like, whatever you want them to say is the superhero you want to become. Yeah. So I use the metaphor of the dominoes. That becomes the big domino. I don't yeah. know if you saw the dominoes. Yeah. But I got them up here. Yeah, uh, everything in life, the domino is an algorithmic process. One hits the next and it goes in order, in the right order to unlock what it is you want. So the last step is to line up those dominoes and meet yourself where you can get a win yeah. as low as possible. Like, you know, you ever have an injury and you're lifting, you can't lift anymore. My trainer's like, lift a pencil. Yeah. You know, start somewhere and add to it. And that's all it is. That's all it is. Like the domino effect is uh, remarkable because a two-inch domino has action potential mm-hmm. to knock over a three-inch domino. A lot of yeah. people don't know that. A two-inch domino can knock over itself on infinitum, but it can also keep going up 50% each each click. Wow. So if you keep doing that, you keep doing a little better and every day you're fulfilling your action potential and your brain's eye, your mind's eye is fixed on um, being that superhero, you can kick some ass. So I got it down to three words. Chop off the head of the dragon. Cut away. Yeah. Choose who you're going to be. And I call it choose your rich. Do you want to be rich? Yeah. Everyone says rich. Well, rich by definition means having an abundance of something. Mm-hmm doesn't say money in the definition yeah could be love travel happiness friendship yeah. contribution fulfillment could be money right could be health, health you know, yeah. but choose your rich and then chip away at that one rich first yeah chip away chase two rabbits they both get away 
Yeah. So that was my algorithm. And the, um, the Japanese have a mending process that I love to talk about. And uh, actually, it's right here. So the mending process is called kintsugi. So the Japanese take kintsugi. The Japanese take this broken pottery. Yeah. Right. So it's a, it's 500 year old tradition, and they they believe that the fractures in somebody's life represent a very important time, and they also believe that they shouldn't be hidden. So if I was you know addicted and I broke in half, as they told me I was broken. They want to put me back together and, and, and hide the scars. Yeah. They don't know that the scars are actually the activation of your stars. Yeah. Like your scars are your stars. Yeah. So they use this gold lacquer and they okay. put the, 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 they put the pottery back together with this gold lacquer. It takes a long time. Yeah. And, and Kintsugi means golden rejoining. It means to bring together with gold to emblaze. Yeah. Uh, they don't hide it. They don't yeah. rehabilitate the, the pottery. They recreate it. Yeah. It highlights it. It highlights that crack, highlights that break. Yeah. And then, you know, in Kintsugi, um, you know, the, I can't tell you what, what, what this costs. This is more valuable. The repaired art is way more valuable than the original unbroken art. Yeah. So you can do that with yourself. So you can go from being broken to being beautiful. Yeah. Using that three step algorithm, whatever, what it is you want to do. You could save a lot of money on counseling lessons and just do that algorithm. For sure, right? Like that's 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 exactly what we talk about with Epic, right? Is that there's so much information now, yeah. it's almost like a lot of people don't really know where to start in terms of whatever they're trying to change, right? But if you yeah. can create that algorithm to whatever it is, create that first domino, whatever it is. Like say mm -hmm. you're trying to deal with stress and you just want to focus on creating a breathing exercise. Maybe the action is the first action is just you sitting down to try it, right? Not trying to schedule time and then creating excuses. And then one thing leads right. to the other and you never end up getting to that point. Right. So that's, that's very interesting and very impactful steps to yeah. help people take to take that action. Right. Obviously everything you've gone through, there's a lot of stress that had accumulates there. Mm -hmm. What are some, what are some of your tips that helped you kind of manage through that stress, right? Whether you're, let's say just after you've, you've got your transplant and you're, you're recreating yourself. Obviously there's a huge amount of stress there. You're thinking about yeah. the past and a lot of people will get hung up on the past in terms of and that was, that's what causes depression, right? Is we're trying mm -hmm. to relive or recapture things that were, are gone. How do you, oh. how did you manage that stress to kind of move forward and recreate yourself? I have a friend who's a, who's a, a psychologist, a, a doctor and her name's, uh, her name's Faye and she has something she has an exercise to become present and I use it all the time, but I, I didn't know I was doing, I had done this before and I didn't even know I was doing it when I figured out a way to get out of pain during my surgery. So when I got out of, when I was having procedures done, like I had a transjugular um, biopsy. So they put, while I'm awake, they put a, a tube down my artery, my carotid artery into my liver. Wow. And it was the most painful thing I ever went through in my life, but I had Gosh. been through a fair amount of, other painful procedures, one is called a paracentesis, when they extract, uh, they put a big needle that long into your abdomen, and they take quarts and quarts of, of abdominal fluid out wow. so I don't uh, suffocate. So I learned how to breathe, and I learned how to just focus on me right there in, in, in quietness. And, and so I learned, like, just kind of by trial and error, some breath work to get out of pain. Yep. But Faye talked to me about it after the fact. She says, you know, you were present, and when you're present, like, you, you can do things to be present. You can touch things. You can focus on being where we are right now. Like I'm here. I'm with yep. you. 
Yeah. There's nothing else going on. There's things happening, but I'm here. Yeah. And there's five movies going on at any one time. The movie you and I are in right now, which is mm -hmm. today, right yep. in the middle. And there's two up top. One is the past. One is the future. Yeah. Right. Wow. And then there's two layers. One is everybody else. And the other one is you. So you're always watching one of these movies in your mind. It's always like, click. Yep. Something I didn't do, you know, because I got this sick. As you're saying things, I popped into a couple of those TV started going on. Yep. Yeah, turn them off. Like when I'm, you know, I remember being in my dorm room when I was telling you that story. And then I remember, you know, the team let me down. And I remember things I did to fail and my employees. Like those are all useless things. Like yeah. I can't do anything about that. I can only be here, yeah. present. So it's being present, uh, which is a simple, again, not easy to do. When you find yourself drifting and play a game with yourself, well, what TV am I watching? Am I watching me by myself in the past, me by myself in the future, or am I watching me with others yeah. in the past, or me failing or falling in the future? Like those don't serve anybody. Yeah, you know, it just brings in a negative self-talk and bullshit, mm -hmm. self-criticism and, and and bad feelings. Yeah, it robs you of your potential. For sure, knocks a domino backwards. Yeah, sets it backwards. Yeah, uh, that, that's yeah, that's a very real thing, right? It's kind of that that story, right? Where does that mind get caught up in, right? They say that there's really only one one thing that matters, and that's the present moment, and that's just constantly, like I said, being able to touch things or see things and think of them, and like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm actually actually here, not scrolling on your phone or getting lost with what do you have right. to do three hours from now or two days from now, right? Just where are you at right now? How can you how can you move forward with where you're at right now? The phone is the worst. Oh, the phone yeah, is that stupid, the stupid Facebook scrolling, you're scrolling, all you're seeing are movies in your mind. Yeah. One's, one's one you could be in, but you'd be afraid to laugh at you. One's one you could be in, but you don't think you can do it. One's one you were in and you screwed up. One's one where you got laughed at. Like, where's the one that you're in right now? Yeah. Full ability. You're not there. You got it. Yeah. You're not going to get anywhere not being here. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's something I obviously work with a lot of teenage athletes now and it's, it's, extremely present in their lives, right? Like they're mm. connected to those things constantly. And, right. and and I really feel for them in terms of the stress that they have to deal with in terms of just being constantly connected with that. And it mm -hmm. used to be like, if someone picked down you at school, you got to go home and you had a break from it until the next day. But now they, they can never escape it with social media and whatnot, right? So mm. they're kind of- That's right, you can keep pounding away, right? Mary, it's like breaking up a fight. You start breaking up a fight and everyone goes cools up, but they probably are going at themselves. Yeah. Each other and from the car. Yeah. Just goes That's right an back. interesting point. Yeah. Goes right back to it. But me meditation, breathing, meditation, but that's kind of like, it, it's like I figured that out in the hospital, but it worked and I keep doing it. So I'm trying to be present, trying to keep your breathing right. Yeah. Is that something you work on every day? Do you have a set practice in terms of I, Every time, I, every morning I wake up, I have a, I have a small algorithm. I, I run when I open my eyes, I, I take a big breath. Yeah. That means I got to get out of bed. Yeah. I don't have time to grab a phone and post up. I just get out of bed, my feet hit the ground, and it's like gonna be a great day today. And I go into the bathroom yeah. and lately and I put a new prompt in there. I got a little kettleball. I do 20 kettleballs, 25 push-ups, nice. yeah. and take a shower, do my thing. It's a short little thing, but it gets my, my endorphins going. I jump in a cold shower. Perfect. That's my morning routine. I think you asked me about that. And yeah, it's a no. stupid one, but that's it. Oh, no, that's that, good. Yeah, you need that, right? That's what we yeah. talk about is, right? We have to, yeah. so, so many of us will look over and grab our phone and we're powering that thing up, looking at that thing without powering yourself up, right? So we need that yeah, algorithm, right. as you say, to, to turn yourself on and get your body moving and get yourself ready for the day. So many of us are just kind of 
responding and reacting to whatever's going on in that device. And like you said, the movie analogy, right? There's 10 different movies coming at you before you've even gotten out of bed. So, Oh yeah. You robbed your, you robbed all your, all, you know, your prime time. I'm, I'm a morning prime timer. So everything, everything between my bed and my bathroom, my shower, my, my vitamins and supplements I take, scrape my tongue, floss my teeth, brush my teeth and I'm out. Yeah. I go sit on the, I got to sit on the deck. I live in the Atlantic ocean. I sit on the deck with my journal, my short yeah. journal. I don't journal a lot. And then I usually listen to a book. Beautiful. By then it's about eight thirty. Let's you know, let's back let's back up a little bit. What's what's your okay. sleep routine like? Are you a good sleeper? Would you say? I wasn't. I'd sleep apnea, but I lost one hundred and thirty pounds, so it went away. I got, it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my I had carried weight in my neck, and I propped up my head a little bit, and my sleep went from very difficult to very soundly. And I got a buckwheat pillow. I don't know if this is how you know that is. It's the it's the Japanese oh, okay. beads. It's remarkable. And I got it on Amazon and I just got that a few months ago. And I, so one problem I had was my neck, but this mm-hmm. thing kind of is this, it's beads. It's like, I, I can't rave enough about it. Like my sleep's going up better. And I sleep, I sleep about seven to nine hours at night. Wow. Nice. Depending on, you know, what time I get up, but I try to get out of bed when I wake up. I try not to sit in bed unless yeah. I'm still tired. Do you have an algorithm in terms of like winding down? At the end of the day, before you go to sleep, because obviously I, I violated it. Uh, for a guy named Brian Johnston taught me about the digital sunset, and I try to shut the phone off. But lately, things are very exciting for me right now. My my social media is kind of blowing up, and and a lot of opportunities are coming my way. I just yeah. signed to be a professor in London to teach digital oh, wow. marketing to wow. students. Like is my dream. I went for. I'm not even a college graduate. Yeah, like I'm going to be a professor in a university. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, I'd love it. I love it. I'm so excited about it. It's not yeah. like that it pays a lot. It's that I could, like, I want to be a teacher. Yeah, passing on and, knowledge. Yeah, so the the analogy of, 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 of the digital sunset is everything goes off at a certain time. Mm-hmm. So the TV is gone. I get rid of it again. And now it's just a matter of saying goodnight to your phone because it's like the snow globe. If you shake up a snow globe, that's what your brain's doing. Yeah. It's all the snow. You got to let it settle to the ground before you go to bed if you can. I think you need at least an hour, if not two hours. Yeah, I would agree. For of sure. quietness, you know, that's what I would coach. For sure. Yeah, that's extremely important. I got to, it got to the point for me, like I would be waking up in the middle of the night and I would grab my phone to check to see what time it is. And the next thing I know, I'm scrolling Instagram, checking emails, looking right. at text messages. I'm like, what am I doing? It's three, <laughs> three in the morning. So I bought yeah. one of this. I bought one of those actual kitchen lock boxes. So I would put it in there when I go to bed, set it for the time. So oh, that way I, I couldn't grab it. And it was my sleep changed pretty dramatically off that, right? Because you're not, yeah. you're not waking up and thinking like, okay, I need to check this thing. I need to check this. A friend of mine's got a thing. He calls it the coffin. He goes, you got to put the phone in the coffin. I'm going to yeah. put you in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, yeah. it's a big wooden box he's got in his kitchen. You put the phone in there and he shuts it for go. dinner. Yeah. He's going to put your phone in the coffin. I'm going to put you in the coffin. <laughs> like, uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's beautiful. I, you know what? I'm 52 years old, so I'm getting up to pee a lot, like yeah. three times a night. Yeah. And I, and I think it's just part of my age. That's that. Other than that, you know, and I, I'm, I don't know, somehow I make it there and get, come back yeah. to the bathroom. I don't know if that's what worthy of mentioning, but my could, sleep's really good other than that. It could just be maybe drinking a little bit too much water right up until bedtime. Like that will, that can cause I think I got to well. experiment with that. I think so. I drink a lot of water. Have you ever looked at, do you ever use a wearable, like a Fitbit or a Whoop or Apple Watch in terms of tracking that sleep or tracking oh, your HRV? I'm doing it. Uh, no, I don't. I wear these, I wear these beads. Yeah, beads on both hands. This yep. is my algorithm for losing weight. 
doing a video about this because the, the laws of thermodynamics sit, state this because uh, I studied this. Like mm -hmm. energy is cannot be made and it cannot be destroyed. It can only be transformed. Yeah. And calories are units of energy, and those units of energies operate our bodies at a certain rate, right? Mine's about 1,900. Yep. My resting metabolic rate's 1,900 calories a day, which means if I eat 1,900 calories, I'll feed my engine. If I eat less, my engine will eat itself. And if I eat more, it'll start storing that extra calorie. Yep. So I, I, I study this. The one and only way, I get, I get a lot of arguments with this, but most only way to lose weight, like, scientifically is to lose energy beyond your, you know, lower than your rate. Mm -hmm. So that's the law of thermodynamics and yep. that's a calorie deficit. Calorie deficit. for sure. So I'm trying to put, I put my body in a calorie deficit for three years. I was on a three year cut. So I went from 350 at my peak down to 210 at my Ted talk. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then I kind of, which is a little too light for me. I'm about 220 right now, which is a little, I think I'm five pounds. I'm trying to tone up. So that's the four-step algorithm to weight loss for me. I have these beads. The first one is I weigh myself every day in the morning. Yeah. I record it. The second step is because now my brain will start to to be to participate in this equation because I'm giving it information. The second step is I cross I count every calorie that crosses my lips and I slide these beads over the 2,200 calorie beads. Okay. Oh wow. So if I'm going on 1,700, I'll move five aside, and that's yep. what I got left for the day. So I eat what I got left. Um, the third one is I deliberately put my body in a calorie deficit and I start to measure that equation, that little experiment's happening. Meanwhile, my brain's helping out and starting to collect ideas of what helps me lose weight and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And the last one is I drink 10 units of water, half yeah. my body weight. It's there simple. Yeah, that's a great, it's, it's a great algorithm for that, for sure. It's good for, it's good for really big people. And it worked really well for me to get down to where I am now. Yeah. But I need to, I need to, like, I need to step up my game to get to where I want to be. You know, I want to get my body fat under 20%. I want to get my weight, not down, but I just, I still sore. So I want to, I want to get you know, my arms around that. Yeah. Nutrition can be a very polarizing topic now, whether it's looking at kind of the idea of vegetarianism or carnivore diet, like, and all mm -hmm. the different things in between and all the different diets and all the different fads, so to speak, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. Like you said, it comes down to thermal dynamics or creating that caloric deficit. Or if you're a young skinny athlete and you're trying to put on weight, creating a caloric surplus, right? So right. I love how you chop that down and narrow it down. Cause that's, that's really all it is. Right. So someone, if someone's wanting to change their nutrition, right? Like what's your biggest area of need? What's your first domino going to be? Is it putting that soda down? Is it yeah, I'd swap drinking out more make, water? Yeah. What, whatever it is, right? Just right. find that domino and, and make it happen. Man, you don't really realize how unhealthy you were until you start to educate yourself. On mm -hmm. There's a book here called um, Daniel Lieberman, the, the Story of the Human Body. Okay. And he talks about sugar. Yeah. Talks about hypertension, you know, weight, because we're not moving. And, you know, the average, we used to move 20 miles a day, mm -hmm. you know, when we were hunter gatherers, we used to forage food. We had various forms of food all yep. day long. You would never eat the same thing. You know, we've domesticated four, six major crops, rice, corn, wheat, yep. barley, soy, like yep. that's all we're eating. So we're not getting that variance of nutrients. And then, um, you know, we're, we're eating processed food, which is, you know, it's not alive. Yeah. And we're not talking to people anymore. So we're like, we're, we're, we used to be small, closely held groups of people moving a lot, eating great, 
great food we found that was brand new alive. And now we're eating old food. We don't move at all. We don't talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah. And you Go wonder backwards. why everyone's going yeah. back ass crazy. Yeah, exactly. They're like the animals. Psychologist told me, he said, look at an animal in a, in a zoo. That's what's happening to the humans. Wow. They're starting to become like a little lethargic. Yeah. You know, you know they're going mad. Yeah. That's we're regressing, right? And that's the idea. Yeah. If you look at the idea of early COVID, right? When that lockdown happened, we're literally we're creatures in the zoo. We're just sitting there, we're oh, eating man. junk food, we're not moving, we're stressed out, wondering yeah. if this is ever gonna end, right? So that's that's the idea of like literally being in a cage. I think some people took it the right way. I've seen some people have transformations in a good oh, way for this, for sure. but who knows? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean it's not everything's an opportunity to decide. You know, you're gonna cut away. You're going to choose what choose your rich and then you're going to chip away, you know? So it's yeah. chop, choose and chip. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And that leads to the next question I want to ask you in terms of goal setting. So say someone who's, who's in that position right now, they want to do whatever it is, A, B or C, mm -hmm. what is your best algorithm or what are your tips for someone who's trying to focus on setting those goals? I would look, I would look at reading, uh, either reading a book called uh, the one thing by Gary Keller you know, Gary Keller built Keller Williams. He built it on one process and he had one idea. He wanted to be the biggest real estate company in the world. And he, and he, and that was his one thing. You didn't talk to Gary about anything else. So you figure out what your one thing is in a global. So that's your big domino. So if you have a domino, that's this big, this big domino. Yep. Right. Yeah. That's a huge one. Yeah, well, I have one. I have one that's twelve feet tall. Oh wow! Yeah, if you look back here, there's a domino in the corner there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have one. Ah. That's, yeah, so I have them that knock over in order, and then you work backwards from amazing. Like there's a domino to cut this one. You got to have one about this big to cut this one over. You got to have one a little smaller. You got to keep going backwards all the way to where you can now get a yes. Yeah. And then basically, it's the domino effect. What's the one thing? that you can do today that yeah. by doing that and only that and getting that done will make whatever you do tomorrow easier or unnecessary for the domino. There you go. Yeah. And that's, if you're, if you have a goal, I mean, there's lots of different processes. One of the problems with goals is people barf their goals on a sheet, mm -hmm. you know, instead of barfing it up, pick one up, mm -hmm. make it still, make it known and make that your one. And then you'll start to be able to, get success. Uh, what happens when you can do something you didn't think you could do is you not only do that thing you didn't think you can do, but you've created a process to do something else because you now have the software to do the, to run the program again on some other goal. Yeah, for sure. So the dominoes and then, you know, the, the three steps I, I would encourage, like chop away all other goals, yeah. choose vividly what that is, have a forensic opinion view research what that is and what it feels like connect to that and then line up your dominoes yeah that's perfect one thing right that comes one you thing have to, you have to take action i was thinking of this earlier today it's like inspiration without action is is useless right like you can go on instagram and you're going to find quotes and inspiration and all this stuff but oh, yeah. unless you take the action it's just it doesn't work it's useless you have to apply it bubble gum for the brain man like that, you know, I, I, I can't, if I, if you made a, if you made a thousand dollars a day since, since Christ's death, yeah, right. That's 2020 years at 365 days is 737,300 days. Yeah. yeah. 
if you made a thousand dollars a day and had no expenses for the last two two thousand and twenty years, you would still be less than half as wealthy as Jeff Bezos. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's crazy. You would have to you'd have to make two thousand two thousand or a thousand dollars a day is one hundred and twenty five dollars an hour. Yeah, that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year of his salary. So if you made that money, you'd have to make, so that's 737,000 times two is 1.5 billion about, right? Yeah. Oh my God. I think it's, I think it's like, you got to make like $10,000 a day. You got to do the math. You know, I tried it yeah. on a calculator Did you? today. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and it didn't have, a, the zero stopped. It goes air, air. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you got to make, I think you need another zero. Cause if you, if you made $10,000 a day, which is two more zeros, that's, that's the, uh, yeah, it's 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 like two. It's a lot. <laughs> Put it yeah, that way. That's, that's how rich Jeff Bezos is. That's a lot. And Jeff Bezos, you don't get rich linearly. That's my point. Like if yeah. you don't get a return on what you do, you make a thousand dollars a day. It's a flat domino. You're not taking that, taking a grand and making more of it each day. Yeah. So Jeff Bezos got started a hell of a lot earlier, mm-hmm. or a hell of a lot later than 2020 years ago. Yeah. He applied a, a big, big domino and he applied little ideas right out of his basement, basically. Yeah, exactly. I love that Started. picture where it shows him, I think his basement or his garage with the desk so and good, the yeah. handmade sign, right? He's got can the you, sign, yeah. Can you imagine him telling people like, I'm going to sell books on the internet? People be like, oh, screw you. That's never going to work. Like, oh yeah? yeah? Watch me. Right. So once, once someone says crazy, something that looks at you like you're crazy, you might be onto something. That's my point. That's a good point right there. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Well, think about thermodynamics, right? Things are not created or destroyed. They just move. So a million people or 9 million people are out of work. Yeah. The energy just went somewhere else. There is another Amazon sniffing around here somewhere. You just got to create what's called white, what marketers call white space. So these, these little black dots here. Yeah are all easy to see because there's white space. That's what marketers would call. If this was copy, they'd write, they'd write one word in the middle of the page and a big piece of white paper be yeah. black. One word, like Hewlett Packard. Yeah. Like, oh, it's a Hewlett Packard ad. Like, duh. That's white space. It becomes very clear. The problem is we have all words and junk and feeds and, and shares and likes yeah. and comments and we don't have any white space in our life yeah. to, to sit back and say, God, I wonder where the opportunity lies right now. Yeah. When that energy transferring from the hospitality industry, where did that go? Yeah. And, where, and how can I be there and to participate? Mm-hmm. It's still there, right? It's just transformed or transmuted into something so, else. Totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, Amazon got some of that money, obviously. He had his best years or his best year. Yeah. They're capitalizing big time. There's, one last thing we want to touch on. I know you're a busy man. Yeah. yeah. Press for time it. a little bit. Kind of the last fun. question we've asked everybody is if you had one message you can tell the entire world right now, what would that be? One message. Well, no matter who you are, where you came from, what you have, what's wrong with you, what label you own, anyone can recover from anything. You're never out at any time and recreate themselves into anything. If you break it down and create clarity around what it is that, that you want to do, chop everything else away, choose your rich, choose what you want to do and have a very clear and vivid image of that in your mind's eye. Mm-hmm. 
have that be your big domino and then line up the dominoes and take one action every single day without exception until to it, to its accomplishment until it's improved. It's like, that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's perfect. Take action. Know what you want. Take action today. What can that be? That's beautiful. Thanks Terrence. Hey, where can everyone reach out to you? You can reach out to me on Instagram. It's Terrence.McMahon. Okay. You can reach out to my website. It's TerrenceMcMahon.com. And you can follow me on my podcast where I give a lot, a lot of value away awesome. every single week. It's called Books to Business. Books to Business. Perfect. We'll link to all that in the show notes. Terrence, again, thanks for your time. This is extremely, extremely impactful and insightful. It'll help a lot of people. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Take care.